0: Well hello my friends, welcome to Hope For Your Heart. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. This is part two on recovering the joy. You know it's so easy to lose your joy. We ought to be joy filled, but the problem is is that we tend to leak. And so yesterday we began this wonderful study on how to have joy. You know joy is a very serious issue. If my wife is never happy, that reflects poorly on me. If my children are never happy, that reflects poorly on me as a dad. If my church is never happy, that's a poor reflection of the pastor. Now listen, the joy of the Lord is our strength. As believers in Christ, we ought to be the most joy-filled people. The Bible tells us that the Christian life, the life that God has given us, it is summed up in three words, goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says, Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God, it's not a matter of what we eat or drink. Listen, you can be joyful eating grits, or you can be joyful eating a T-bone steak. The kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat. It's about a life of goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But I know the reality is this. We can indeed lose our joy. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah, that weeping prophet, the prophet of God, he looked out at his people and he says, the joy of our hearts has ended. (laughs) Maybe that's how you feel today. Well, how do I get it back? I don't need any help in losing it. I need help in keeping it and getting it back. Well, the first step, you got to admit that you've lost it. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are right now? Restore to me the joy of your salvation, says the psalmist. So cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm tired of playing this pretend game. I am pretending that I'm joyful that I'm not. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then the second thing you got to do, you got to analyze the cause. What has happened in my life? How did I lose this joy? Maybe my schedule's unbalanced. Maybe I've got a talent that I'm not using. Maybe there's a sin I need to confess Maybe there's a conflict that I need to resolve. Maybe I'm just undernourished in my spirit. These are all causes of loss of joy. And then number three, you've got to get to the point where you correct what is wrong. Now, I need to look and I need to see what is it that's the kill joy in my life? How do I work around it? You know, during a time of walking with Christ, I think the number one reason that people lose joy in their lives is because they know the right thing to do, but they don't do it. Now, that would rob you of joy faster than anything else. I was just talking to a man not too long ago, and sad to say that his marriage is falling apart, and he says, for many years, I didn't do the right thing that I knew I should have done, and now I'm paying the consequences. He has been robbed of his joy because of years of living in disobedience. James tells us if anyone who knows to do the right thing and he doesn't do it, he is sinning. So the secret to continual, abundant, and overflowing joy is not how you feel, but how you obey. Because when you look at the commandments, some of them seem like the absolute opposite of human nature. And it's not what I naturally want to do. But I want you to know that when you obey, you obey first, the joy comes second. Don't wait for the emotion. Go ahead and get some motion in the right direction, and you're going to discover that the joy will come back. Well, there's another thing you got to do, okay? And not only do you no longer deny it, you analyze it, you correct it, you focus on what is good. If you think about what's good in life, you will discover a major change begins to happen. Now, I need to think about what's good. What is the good thing in my life right now? Stop focusing on, on the negative. I mean, they're out there. The problems are out there. The difficulties are out there. Don't be focusing exclusively on what's wrong. We've already analyzed what's wrong. Now it's time to start focusing on the good. You stop focusing on the negative. You start thinking about the things in your life that are good. David says, Psalm 126, The Lord has done great things for us, and we were filled with joy. There it is. You know, the more you focus on what God's done for you, the more joy you're going to have in your life. Why? It produces gratitude. And the attitude of gratitude, study after study, has shown that the attitude of gratitude is the healthiest human emotion. If you want to be healthy, you develop the attitude of gratitude in your life. Studies have shown that the more grateful a person is, the more emotionally healthy they are, and the more ungrateful a person is, the more emotionally unhealthy they are. It's all about gratitude. So in the name of joy, I'm asking you to be filled with focusing on the blessings in your life. There used to be that old hymn, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So you need a thought transformation. Philippians 4.8 says, think about the things. You know, the Bible uses eight things to think about. Here they are. Think about these things. Number one, things that are good. Number two, things that are worthy of praise. Think about things that are true. Number four, things that are honorable. Number five. Things that are right, things that are pure, things that are beautiful, and things that are respected. That's Philippians 4, beginning at verse number 8. Now, when we look at this joy, how do we stay filled with joy? Well, here's what I've decided to do, and it has helped me immensely. I feed my mind with good books, classical Christian books. I'm reading all the time and I'm filling my mind with good things, with positive things. Well, how do you do that? Well, I've discovered getting off the phone, getting off social media, watching less TV. It's real simple. If you cut out all the time you spend on social media and all the shows that you watch on TV, let's be real honest the average American will watch three hours of television every single day. So you get home from work. After working all day, and you watch television until it's time to go to bed, three hours of TV a day, that means that by the time you're 18 years old, you've amassed about 18,000 hours of TV. That means if you live to be an average life, by the time that you retire, you would have amassed nine and a half solid years of watching television. Now, the tragedy to me is that too many Christians— Know what is happening on the latest episode of their favorite television show, or they know what's happening with their favorite sports team, but they don't know the latest episode of God's calendar. Do you really want to give nine and a half years of your life sitting in front of the television? I don't think so. The next time you watch a TV show, you better be pretty certain that it's worth your life because that's what you're giving to it. Your time is your life. It's the one thing. You're never going to get back your time. Listen, if you made a poor investment, you can regain some money. If you made a poor use of your time, once that time is gone, it's gone. So if you trade an hour of your life for an hour of a TV program, you need to be aware of what the trade-off is. You're never going to get that hour back in your life. Is that TV show going to make you a different person? Is it going to make you a better person? A deeper person, a more joyful person. Oh, take a look at that. Proverbs fifteen four says, An intelligent person is always eager to take in more truth. Fools feed on fast food, fads, and fancies. Now that's a modern translation. That's the message translation, but I love the punch behind that verse. Psalm 101, verse 3, David said. I am not going to set any wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. What is David saying? He's saying, I'm not going to focus on wicked things. You know, I think you can put a lot of things in here that are wicked. I think about you could put pornography in there. You could put some of the social media stuff in there you could put some of the fake news stuff that inundates the airwaves. I'm not going to set any wicked thing before mine eyes. Psalm 101, verse 3. Well, we've learned a lot. We've learned that if we're going to remain joy-filled, we can't deny we've lost our joy. We've got to analyze where we've lost our joy. We've got to make corrections. We've got to think different by focusing on the good. And then you've got to spend time, number five, with God every single day. Do you know that God so wants to spend time with you? He really does. That may be hard to imagine. I mean, he's got the whole world to take care of, and he wants to spend time with me. Why would he want to spend time with me? But if you think about all the times in Scripture when God invites us to come into his presence. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me and I will give you rest. He shows his face to me. He lets me hear his voice. You hear him say all throughout scripture, come to me. Why would you want to come into his presence if he doesn't want to be yours? Listen, he wants to spend time with you. And there's a joy that comes when you spend time with God in a daily quiet time. It's really pretty simple. Because coming to God in a quiet time, that's how we learn to hear His voice. That's how you learn to find out what God wants you to do with your life. That's how you get to know Him better. You know His character better. You know how He thinks about things. The more time you spend with Him, the deeper your friendship with God begins to develop. And Jesus invites us. Into a friendship. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you my friends. What kind of friendship is it if you never spend time with the person that you call your friend? What kind of relationship would that be? It's saying a marriage if the husband and the wife never spend time with each other. In Jeremiah 15, Jeremiah says, Lord, your words are what sustain me. That's what gives me the strength and that's what gives me hope. They bring me great joy. Jesus said, Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. And then he actually gives us a commandment. He says, Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be complete. You see, joy comes from the reading of the word, and joy comes through prayer. And God wants to restore joy to your life, and it happens in your quiet time as you hear him speak, as he speaks to you through the Bible. And as you talk back to him through prayer, you know, tell him your thoughts, tell him your feelings, tell him as you pray, you know, there's a joy that will come to you when you spend time with him. Psalm 95 one says, sing for joy, sing for joy. You want to read the word, you want to pray the word, but you also want to sing for joy. I want you to look at another verse, verse 21. Sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud. Now, that means loud singing, not quiet singing, loud singing. Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. You want to get joy? You sing for joy. A Christian psychologist was dealing with depressed believers. It seems like that was his clientele. All these believers would come to him and they were depressed, and he found that those who were most depressed sang the least. So he started asking a question at the beginning of a session. As a person would meet with him who was all discouraged and all down in the dumps, he would say, Did you sing the worship songs at church this week? Now if they say no. He says, I want you to sing every word of every song for the next four times that you go to church and let's see what a difference that makes. You know, there's power in singing. It actually creates joy in my life. The psalmist says, sing for joy. It doesn't say sing to impress others. It doesn't say sing to impress God. It says sing for joy. Let's face it. Some of us are prison singers. We're always behind a few bars and we never have the right key. And some of you couldn't carry a tune in a baggie or a bucket. Uh, You have a cultivated voice that that should be plowed under. But the Bible says, sing for joy. Uh, We won't put a mic on you, but let's be an audience singer. Let's join the congregation and let's sing for the joy of the Lord. You know, you ought to be doing that. The Bible says, let the joys of the godly well up and praise to the Lord for it is right to praise Him. Now, why is it that you can be loud? and excited about everything else except when it comes to church. If I sing real loud and I raise my hands at the church, then I'm called a fanatic. If I sing real loud and raise my hands at a football game, well, that's called a fan. What's the difference? Why can't I say, go Chargers, and then come to church and say, go God? There's no difference. It's not like one spiritual, hey God, root for God. I'm telling you, you need to sing to the Lord. The Bible says God inhabits the praise of his people. Oh, I want you to sing your brains out when you go to church. Now, if you're like me, I sing in the car, right? Especially when I'm by myself. Man, I'll put Pandora, and I'll listen to Laura's story or, or some of the other contemporary Christian music out there, and I'll just, I'll just blare it as loud as it can go, and I'll sing it at the top of my lungs. Good thing I have my windows rolled up and nobody can hear me, but you know what that does? That fills me with joy. Well, we're talking about ways to recover the joy. We're down to number six. Number six is find a way to give back. Find a way to give back. I was just thinking about my church as I was driving over here to record the broadcast. Today, as a church, we have so much joy to give back. In our annual Thanksgiving dinner, we feed six or 800 people. And the last time we did this, I caught a lot of people laughing and smiling while we were serving. Yesterday, when I was in church, we were enjoying our time together, and uh, we had a few people that were gather around and helping our new guests be able to get their children into the nursery. You know what they were doing? They were smiling. They were filled with joy. Sunday morning when we gather to worship, it's a joy filled experience. Sunday night we have celebrate recovery. You know what that is? It's a joy filled experience. Monday, I have my spa group that meets at the church. It's a joy filled experience. Tuesday we have a Bible study at the church. It's a joy filled experience. Wednesday we'll have over a hundred people. Under the age of 18, gathered at our church for youth group and for a wanna and for a Bible study. You know what it is? It's a joy-filled event. Thursday, we have our food pantry. Thursday, we have our worship team rehearsal. Thursday, we have a prayer time at 5 a.m. All three events, joy-filled. Friday, we have AA meeting at our church, and there's a bunch of joy-filled people in AA. Saturday, we often have men's events and ladies' events and paint nights. What are they? They're all joy-filled. Now all these wonderful things are happening they're all joy-filled but they're also filled with people who love to serve. Now it amazes me the happiest people in any church are the doers. Jesus said, "Don't just be hearers of my word, but be doers of the word. You will stay joy-filled by being service-oriented. Don't just take and take and take. Find some way in your life to give back. That will restore the joy. Ephesians 2 says, God has given us new lives in Christ Jesus. And long ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. In tough times, it's very easy to get self-centered. It's easy to pull in and batten up the hatches and pull up the drawbridge and fill up the boat and pull ourselves in and say, I'm not going to get COVID or I'm not going to get swine flu or whatever virus is running through the community. I'm not going to go out. Uh, I'm not going to take any risks. I'm not going to go out and help anybody else. It's very easy to get quite self-centered. Just take it easy. Think about me. Slack off in my attendance and slack off in my small group, slack off in surfing and things like that we are violating a very important principle acts 2035 there's more happiness in giving than there is receiving joyful people are giving they're giving their time their talents and their treasures well i've got another thing i got to tell you about joyful people if you want to recover the joy in your life don't deny that you've lost it analyze where you've lost it make corrections focus on what is good spend time with god every day There's a sixth way to get your joy back. Find a way to give back. And the seventh way to restore joy is real simple. Tell somebody about Jesus. Yep, it's that simple. Friends, we have the greatest message. Without a doubt, there is no message that even is a close second. And today we're going to remind ourselves of this great message by telling somebody else about it. In 1 John 4, it says that God showed how much He loved us by sending His Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. That is real love. And it's not that we love God, but He loved us first and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Do you get what's saying here? He sent His Son. You know, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who changes his heart and life. Luke 15, 7. I want to tell you a story about a guy who is gloriously saved. This guy was a guy who lived a life as a heathen. In his mid-twenties, he was out doing his own thing, but a friend became concerned about him. That friend wanted his friend to come to Christ. And so he reconditioned a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, and he used that Harley-Davidson motorcycle to go out and share the gospel with other bikers. Many came to a saving knowledge of Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. This guy actually gave his Harley to somebody who put his faith and trust in Christ. What would you be willing? To give up in order to get a friend into heaven? How much is your friend's salvation worth? What thing would you be willing to part with if it got somebody that you loved, a friend that you cared about, into heaven for eternity? Is there anything? What are you willing to give in order to get your friend into heaven? Now think about that. There's so many ways that we can share the gospel. I was reading an article about the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. So I thought I'd give you a little quiz in the, in the last few minutes that we have together. But what is the most persecuted religion in the world? Is it Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, or Christianity? Did you know that without a doubt, by far, it is Christianity. The second place doesn't even come close. When you think about how much the gospel is worth, the reason it is so valuable is because of what it cost Christ. You know, there are 60 nations in which it's illegal to share the gospel. Why is that? Because the enemy knows the power of the gospel The power of the gospel not only set us free, but to fill us with the joy of the Lord. Did you know that believers right now are suffering persecution in other countries? And it's almost astounding. Almost 100 million Christians are suffering right now from some form of persecution. In fact, that's a statistic that really blows my mind. You know, more Christians have been murdered for their faith, martyred for their faith in the last 100 years than in the previous 1,900 years combined. Now, Now, think about that. We talk about Christians being fed to the lions in the Colosseum. That's kind of minuscule, right? What's happening right now in the world is far more exponentially worse than what the early Christians faced as far as the number of people being persecuted but you know what I've discovered? The persecuted church are the most joyful people in the entire world. They're far more joyful than the American Christians. Why? Because it means something to them. They're not casual in their faith. It's not like, well, I think I'll take it or leave it. It's not like, well, I think it's raining today, so I don't think I'm going to go to church today. It's not a matter of I may go to church tomorrow or I may not go tomorrow. In their case, Going to church might even cause them to die. It means something to them. They're far more joyful. Jesus said, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you, when men say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which went before you. So he says, you are persecuted. Rejoice. Why? Because it happened throughout all of history to good people. And number two, you will be rewarded for eternity. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless you.